Take your Bible, so please, and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, chapter 9. As we reflect upon our message from last week and uh, draw some clear conclusions, uh, at least uh, the writer, the speaker, the convener of the assembly draws those conclusions for us in the book of Ecclesiastes by sharing some Proverbs with us, Proverbs that in particular have to do with what is good and what is better. It's an important uh, section of Scripture that reminds us of of some of the things that matter most. In fact, the words of the songs that we sung this morning reflect much of what the Koheleth, this convener of the assemblies, the speaker, the teacher, is trying to convey and trying to communicate to us. As we tackle this subject again this morning, we'll sprinkle in even some cultural apologetics, some things in the culture that we can learn and learn from that remind us when we think biblically of some really key biblical concepts. I'm a little quirky when it comes to that because I believe that even in the secular world, if you're paying attention, even in its negativity, there are takeaways for us if we are thinking biblically. There are takeaways from us if we're thinking in wisdom. There are things that we can learn as we are trying to grasp the reality of life under the sun, in particular when things don't necessarily go the way we want them to go. And that is the context for Ecclesiastes chapter 9. For those who've just joined us, again, a reminder that I'll make a very important announcement after the conclusion of our worship service about a fire drill that we will uh, participate in this morning. I would encourage you to be cooperative and stick around. We live in perilous times, and we see what happens when people are unprepared for emergencies. So the fire department will be here assisting us, and we will do our role, and I trust that God forbid anything bad happens, we'll at least have a plan as to address that. So stick with us throughout the morning this morning. We realize that we cannot explain everything, that the people we love will become ill and die, and we don't know why God could allow this to happen. Once we accept there is injustice and oppression or we have to face the fact that there's this throbbing hurt at the core of our soul that just won't go away. One option is to try and flee reality and numb the pain, avoid the problem altogether. Party as hard as we can, laugh as loud and as often as possible, drink ourselves into oblivion or live in the past or live in a land of make-believe instead of the present. And that is the root of escapism, and that is the root that our culture chooses to take in a world that is spinning out of control even as we speak. That is the role that many of us even fall into when, when the notion that we live in a fallen world becomes painfully real to us and falls on us. We would rather not deal with it. We'd rather run away from it. We'd rather pretend that this too will go away. And then even worse, there are some who will look at life and all of its difficulties and realize that they can't run away from it, so they instead turn to blame everybody else for their issues 
and everybody else for their responses and everybody else for their sadness. And sometimes that even includes God. But how's that working out for us? Not very well. The truth of the matter is, in this context of Ecclesiastes, particularly in the chapter that we're in, we're reminded that life doesn't go the way we want it to go. Our plan is not necessarily the plan, and some of us get that confused sometimes. We realize that even in the harder times of life, there's goodness and blessing. But there are some who are living crisis to crisis to crisis. There are some who've grown so embittered towards the realities of life that we all experience that in your miserable existence, you're just trying to get through another day, and tomorrow's going to be just as bad and as crazy as this. But is that any way to live? I suspect not. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, the Koheleth, is trying to give us reasons why we shouldn't live that way. We must take heed to the things that he says, what he speaks of in this chapter. If you have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, follow along beginning in verse 1, where he writes, But all of this I laid to heart, examining it, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, as says, he who shuns an oath. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. And also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he is joined to all the living as hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know what, that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in show to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seems great to me. 
there was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we dive into this text this morning, as it simply gives some some counsel and some proverbs concerning what he's addressed in the early portion of the chapter, that everyone dies that everyone goes through hard times, that life falls on all of us at one point or time in another. And as He encourages us to keep our wits and wisdom about us, as He encourages us to take time to to reflect and and to think and to to ponder, as He speaks this lived-out wisdom to those who we've gathered together with a passion that they might hear and understand before it's too late. I pray the same for us this morning. I would ask that you would take your word, that you would take my words and turn them into your glory. And as we reflect upon the reality, the ultimate reality of death, or even the seasons that happen to all, we're not just prosperity, but heartache, death, destruction, In reality, knock the wind out of us. In those times, may we see you. May we hear you. May we know you. May we understand you. May we listen to the words of the preacher and be prepared for the inevitable. May it all resound to your glory when we learn these important lessons in life. And in simplicity, learn what it means to fear God and keep His commandments. The very goal of all that is written in the book of Ecclesiastes. May we learn it for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go back to chapter 9 and verse 7, as he's reminded us that everyone is going to die as he reminds us that nobody escapes it, as he reminds us that death sometimes is unfair, the things that we spoke of last week, sometimes the evil are blessed with long days, sometimes the righteous and their lives are, are encapsulated and shortened. And as much as we'd like to try and make sense of it all and in these simple equations say, well, this is the way it's supposed to be, We're reminded by the writer that nothing is the way it's supposed to be if we're speaking on a perspective of under the sun. You have your plans, and you have your notions, and you have these simple equations that God is bound and has to bless me if I do this and this and this, but life doesn't work that way. And all of a sudden, when we when we live under these false pretenses, again, it knocks the wind out of us when, when it doesn't happen on our terms. But I suggest to you 
Seldom does life happen on our terms, but it always happens to all. Well, Aziz wrestled with some of these things and can make no sense of that evil day of death or calamity. He concludes in verse 7, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Not as a hedonist, not as a cynic, but he said, on your way, make sure, make sure you don't miss the good when you are overwhelmed with the bad. Don't miss the blessings when you're experiencing the curse of the fall. Don't lose your perspective long-term in the midst of the short-term calamities that all of us experience in one way or another as we toil here under the sun. In many ways, he's saying there is a place of contentment. Even in hard times, there's a place of happiness and joy. Eat your bread with joy. Enjoy the day. Take part in the generosity of God, the common graces of of the culture in which we live, and recognize that God has given us good things that He approves of that we are to take pleasure in, and realize that you've not earned any of that. It is the gift of God. Isn't that the crux of the matter? We want to proclaim and we want to take the position that God owes us because of who I am. God has already promised what you get in this world. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And as we walk this path of life, inevitably concluding in death, there's some things that we need to learn, and there's some things that we can learn to enjoy, and we can see the blessings and the challenges and the difficulties of life, even as we've sung about this morning. He says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your, on your head. May joy and, and happiness and contentedness reflect the countenance of your heart in good times and in bad times. In fact, enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Not, not empty, not useless, not futile, but a vain life that is unpredictable. It is unknowable. It is incomprehensible. And yet we still ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? If that's the way you live, you will be constantly distracted and disappointed with the realities of life, because bad does happen to good, and good does happen to bad. And no matter how you might try to figure out and comprehend the glory of God, nobody knows His plan, but He does. And he works it for his glory, and we can't change a single part of it. So how do we respond to life when life becomes most difficult in our portion? What is our portion? It is our individual unique lives, a mixed bag for sure. You can read this as morbid and depressing, or you can read this as freeing and empowering today. He's saying, live your life to the fullest. Live live today with an understanding that God is on the throne and He knows the end from the beginning. And if there's nothing else that you can give thanks for, don't miss the little things. Don't miss those little things that remind us of His goodness, the little things that remind us of of His grace, some of those little things that we spoke of in the midst of our toil. 
last week when we looked at the first portion of this text. As he writes these things about the little things, he is writing to people who are quite similar to him. He's writing to people who oftentimes look past the blessings of life to only look upon the hardships. They look at all that is broken. They get stuck in their perspective. It seems the more that they live, the only thing they learn is how to whine a little bit more, how to complain a little bit more, how to bicker with each other, how to grow bitter, that life is unpredictable. But none of that changes anything. You can choose to take that negative path. You can choose to stand in front of a holy and righteous God and say, I deserve better. You don't. You can choose to see the difficult times of life as a part of God's plan and blessing, and you can choose in the little things to see that even in the mixed blessing of life, if I can maintain my perspective, there are things to be thankful for. There are things to find joy in. He's speaking to us about truly living life to its fullest and learning to die well by reminding us that everyone's going to die. So you can sit around in your sackcloth and ashes waiting for that day, and so many of you do. Or can you put on your white garments and you can put the oil on your head and you can choose to make the most of today, no matter how hard it might be. Because both in good and bad, God is on the throne. He's communicating this to us. Just share a little a little bit about my life. My grandfather gave me a, a, a love for Westerns. You might think that's a little weird in today's culture, but I have a love for Westerns. That's my family. They drive them crazy. I watch Gunsmoke anytime I get a chance. Remember those old black and white things? There's a lot you can learn from those things. There's a lot you can learn by listening to the people in this world. There's a lot to learn by looking at those people dealing with the heartaches of life depicted on the big screen. And even for those who are wicked or evil, even for those who don't know the truth, there's something that we can learn if we choose to learn something in the midst of life's difficulties. Certainly, there's those old black and white westerns, but I grew up in a different era than my grandfather and uh, with the Clint Eastwood Westerns. You remember some of those, don't you? Again, I drive my family nuts. I've seen them before. Yeah, I'll watch them again. They're on, right? It's just, it's just reality. But what you need to know in my, my life is there's things that I'll always learn in these things. And, and here's a soundbite, if you would. Outlaw Josie Wales. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you haven't. He goes through a terrible experience. He's dealing with tragedy and loss. An angry guy looking for vengeance. There's a sadness to that. That is the culture that the Koheleth is speaking into. How do I get even? How do I make this right? In the latter portion of the movie, he's in a saloon, and a bounty hunter walks through the front door and says, I'm looking for Josie Wales. 
And in typical Clint Eastwood fashion, he said, that would be me. And they exchange a little bit, and he says, are you a bounty hunter? The man looks at him and says, a man's got to do something for a living these days. How morbid is that? And the character looks at him and says, dying ain't much of a living, boy. Boy, I know a lot of people like that. Bitter, angry, dying ain't much of a living, boy. And then he says this, you know, this isn't necessary. We can just write on. We can just accept this as a reality of life and, and move forward. It's almost a point and a turning point in the character's life. But for me, it's so much like people that I run into who have grown so bitter and, and angry and complaining about everything. Dying ain't much of a living. Waiting for the closing of the coffin ain't much of a living. You need to look past. You need to get beyond. You need to ride on and realize that life is hard sometimes, but there are still little things that God can bless you with. That's what he says in verse 10. Whatever your hands find to do, whatever you are able to do, whatever you can enjoy, whatever brings pleasure, do it with your might, because pretty soon you'll run out of chances. You can do it now, or you can never do it. You're all going to die, so you can choose today how you live. And he gives us this. He says, for tomorrow, the things that are done under the sun and the place that you are going dead. It's over. There's no second chances. So make the most of your opportunity. Reminds me, and I shared this before with you, the song made famous by Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Some of you might know it. There's some profound truth in that word. See, in cultural apologetics, it's this ability to look at the culture and draw out deep and meaningful spiritual truths to send back into the culture. Outlaw Josie Wales. There's some things that you can shoot back at the culture, no pun intended. So it's time to ride on. Stop wallowing. Make the most of it. You're missing the little things in life. Louis Armstrong wrote this song that has become beloved. It was not well accepted in the United States. Maybe you don't know that. It was written in 1968, a time of racial and political unrest. There was no optimism and celebration of life. And even the black community thought that he was a sellout and an Uncle Tom for singing about the goodness of the world when things were so bad. It was a number one bestseller, but not in America. It started in the UK. Ten years later, Italy embraced the song. The song wasn't recognized for its cultural value and truth until 53 years after he sang it. 53 years after he sang it. They finally recognized through the Music Academy how iconic and cultural changing the words of that song were. There was resentment toward Louis Armstrong because he didn't run around in spite of being black and suffering persecution 
with sadness and bitterness and complaint. They say he was a carefree, happy guy who told a lot of corny jokes and just liked life. He was criticized for having a, a white band, and he was criticized for his attitude. Don't you see what's happening in the world? Maybe he knew more than they knew. Listen to what he, what he sings. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. 25 words that change your perspective on life. Remember, he's singing in the 60s as a black man. And he's looking beyond all of that, the common graces of God and the little things, and he's thankful. He sings, I sing skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed days and the dark sacred nights. Give you a snapshot into his soul. And all of that, life is still good. Whether it's the bright blessed days or in the darkness at night when you're wrestling with the deepest issues of life. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, what shame he would have experienced in knowing what that's turned out in our culture today. The colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. He's saying, relationship matters. Don't, don't miss that in the, in the middle of life. And then he says something quite profound. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. In some ways, that's exactly what the Goheleth is saying. Because he will tell us in chapter 12, verse 1, remember your Creator and the days of your youth before the evil days come and the days draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. Learn to be thankful for the little things before life robs you of those little things. That's exactly what the writer is telling us. There is deep and enduring value in that. As he shares that with us in song, it reflects even the truth of the Scripture. Again, in cultural apologetics, you can take people back to that and remind them, yeah, I know life's hard right now, but don't miss the little things. He says in verse 11 again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to all of them. What makes you think you're so special? That you will escape these realities. What makes you think that you've got this all figured out? Isn't that exactly what he was trying to do, get it all figured out? He said, I haven't. You might as well stop too. None of that. None of that comes. As he speaks and, and he talks about his wrestling with these things, he comes to the conclusion that time and chance happen to every single one of us. There is no predicting of the future. 
There's no simple equation where God has to respond to our demands. God's patterns are not predictable. God's timing is everything, and there are no exceptions to that rule. And that includes, that includes those who claim God as their own. And as soon as we come to grips with that, the far better we will be in this world of life. For the true irony is that people do not always see what is indirectly in front of them, the simple graces and the simple things that teach us that life is good, that remind us of the blessings of life, that even in the uncertainties of life, there are things to be enjoyed. There are things to be lived. There are things to be thankful for. How are you doing with all of that? What is it that comes to mind in your conversations, in your responses, in your mannerisms? He has used his whole life and at times run up to such sheer cynicism that he felt that this life is, is, is bothersome and hard, and then you die. And then there's other times like this where he says, even in the midst of the uncertainties of life, there are some things that we can learn. Oh, here's one of those things in verse 12. Man does not know his time. Lesson number one. And if you don't know your time, you can't decide, well, tomorrow I will go and do this and such, the book of James, but you will make the most of the opportunities that today provides. And tomorrow is sufficient for the evil thereof. Have we learned that? Not a lot of us. Some of us have made progress, but all of us are susceptible to the things he warns of in this text but reminded that no man knows his time. And just like fish are taken in an evil net and like birds are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Most specifically, he's speaking of death. But, but I also think that there are situations that he has in mind as well that suddenly fall on us. You have to prepare ahead of time for those days. And you learn to prepare ahead of time for being thankful for the little things. So in the midst of the big things, there are some things that you can still cling to that remind you that God is good and that you are blessed. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. He said, in all of my ponderings, I've come to this conclusion, and it's really, it's really left a mark in, in my thinking. It's a, it's a simple understanding of life, a plan, if you would, as we move forward. He says in verse 14, by way of illustration, there was a little city with few men in it. It is insignificant. It is of small population. It is one of those drive-by places in politics, one of those flyover places in the Midwest, right? So you have this little city, and then he says you have this great king who comes against that little city and besieges it. He, he sets about it. He is taking it for his own, building great siege works against it. But in this particular city, there was found in it a poor, wise man. 
That's interesting. He found a man who had some wisdom, but he wasn't much to speak of. He was poor. In that context and culture, that made him rather insignificant. Can I remind you? He is speaking of every one of us. We are bit players on a big stage. Oh, we think we're the life of the party. We think we're the center of the universe, but we're this poor guy that no one's going to remember in this little city besieged by this great king. And my life and character and his life and character, he just envelops everything in it. I'm just another person. But there was found in this city a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, this nobody who had learned the realities of life and the little things, this nobody who had learned to, to think deeper about life, this nobody who had learned important lessons of life comes to the rescue of this little city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. It's a little blip on the radar. A tiny person in the midst of time that marches on and on and on and on. And though he did something deeply profound, nobody remembered the guy when it was all said and done. Why? Because they had more, no more need of him. The crisis had been averted, now just go away. In the short run, the wise man's actions were significant, but in the long run, they disappeared into oblivion at the passing of time because there's no remembrance of the former things. You know, you can be a part of the cacophony of voices of our culture, but I must remind you, as the Koheleth reminds us, noise is no substitute for wisdom and knowledge pausing to stop and pausing to consider and sorting through and sorting out is what we're all called to, and it's the very message that the writer is trying to communicate to those who he's gathered together. And he says in in the context, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Thinking and processing and having the right perspective is better than this wise or better than this mighty king who had besieged this small city, having wisdom, having understanding, having a a proper perspective of the way life is, is far better, far better, (coughs) even though his wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Speaking of speaking truth in a world that is inexplicable and explicitly indifferent to the wisdom that comes from those who have sorted through the realities of life. Don't you hear a little bit of this guy's testimony in this verse? I've been pouring my heart out to you. Have you heard the words that I'm saying, or have you forgotten them already? They don't resonate with you. They don't supply the answers that you want. It says in verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. 
the brief opportunity for this poor man and his wisdom to rescue a city was far greater than this boastful, loudmouthed king who'd besieged the city. The words of the wise, better than Proverbs, heard and quiet, taken to heart, listened to, and embraced. He's beginning to wind down his thoughts, and he's going to encourage them in the coming chapters to pay attention to what's going on, and to keep things straight, and to put things straight, so that when these hard times happen upon us, we don't miss the little things. We don't become the fool shouting amongst other fools. He's speaking about one who is verbose and filled with words and and confidence, but he's absolutely wrong on his perspective in life. And every one of us have played that role at one point in time. Perhaps this describes us. The number of his words are in inverse proportion to the quantity of his knowledge. (laughs) Just shut up. Words, they're heard in silence. Saying, pay attention. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. He picks up on that theme in the very next chapter. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, stinks. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. He's calling upon us to hear the words of the wise and quiet, to really stop and think, to really embrace this reality, to really think through this thing, to look at all of the difficult and challenging times of life, and they're everywhere, and don't miss the little things. Reminds me so much of what was spoken of in the Scripture. The book of Job, in fact, in chapter 1, as the calamities fall upon him. So Job accepted all of the calamity, understanding that God, for whatever reason, had allowed it, and he did not sin in any of his ways. And it got worse. And he got into chapter 2, and as things continued to stumble and bumble out of control, his wife says, curse God and die. And he says something absolutely profound in this wisdom book of Job, just like the Koheleth and Ecclesiastes. Shall I accept good from God and not evil? You get to pick and choose in this life? No, you don't. God is God. And in all of this, the Bible says, Job did not sin. This is the message the words of the wise, to all of us who hear in quiet. The message is loud and clear. Walk in wisdom and choose your words carefully. Let every situation and circumstance in life teach you something about reality. And in the midst of the darkest days, remember that God is good, and He is on the throne, 
and not one of us can add or take away from His plan. So even in our hurts, in these times of calamity, He uses them for His glory. And believe it or not, He uses it for our good. The words of the wise, indeed. Are you listening? Father, I pray we might take all of this to heart. I pray we might grasp the reality of these words. I pray we never get caught unaware. I pray that we live with this reality. The calamity comes to all. And we're not special or singled out or given a pass. But I pray that in the midst of those times, not running away or being ignorant of the heartaches of the day, we might balance that out with the wisdom that comes from above and find simple ways and simple means and simple things to give praise for. Teach us to be like Job. Show us the lessons of the Koheleth. Allow us to learn them before they're too late because we only pass this way once. And wisdom is indeed better than folly and even might. Teach us to walk in wisdom, to be careful in our words, and to always see your goodness. And may it always resound for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.